Hey, I'm Kate. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. I'm super freaking nervous, so it's going to take a minute to chill out a little bit. I am... Okay, so... All right. Do you mind if we have a moment of silence real quick again, just so I can, like, chill out? All right. Moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right. Awesome. Thank you all. <clears throat> okay, so I have been, so I'm 33. I've been in and out of the rooms of AA and rehab since I was 20. Um, so needless to say, there's a lot of, like, history there. Um, um, but I'm just going to, like, hit on, like, a few points of my past and then get to the solution the best I can. Um, so from a young age, I was the youngest of seven kids, or am the youngest of seven kids. Um, from a young age, I remember being, like, really, really depressed. Um, like, one of my first memories is, like, me standing at the end of the, the stairs in my house I grew up in and looking into the mirror and, like, telling myself, like, you're ugly, no one loves you, like, no one wants to be around you, you know, just, like, these in my head, just staring at myself in the mirror, and no one else was around. Um, and so, like, that memory has stuck with me, and I think those are, like, my core beliefs of, like, since I was a kid, you know? Um... And then when I was 10, I remember another time, like, my dad left, my parents got divorced, and um, there was a time I didn't talk for a month. Like, I was just totally silent. Um, and so, like, that's how I deal with things. I just stuff stuff, right? Um, and so, later on, like, I had my first drink at age 13. It was Halloween night, and we were trick-or-treating. <laughs> and we found, like, a cooler in the back of a truck at a football party. And all my friends, like, took a Gatorade, you know, and, like, I took a beer. I was like, this is the cool thing to do. Because, um, like, I grew up with six older siblings, right? And, like, our house, once my dad left, was the party house. And, like, so I saw my sisters drinking, and they were the popular kids. So I thought, like, that's what people do, you know. Um, not to blame it on them, obviously. <laughs> I'm definitely an alcoholic by birth. But, so, yeah, I grabbed a beer and, like, went to my treehouse when I got home and, like, drank it. <laughs> Um, and then from then, like, I, that night, like, I didn't, like, you know, get drunk. I didn't feel anything. But I felt, I remember feeling, like, kind of cool. I don't know. It's kind of dorky. But, like, I just remember feeling, like, better then. Um, and so from 13 to 15, I drank as much as I could. And that was pretty easy because my stepmom um, is an alcoholic. And, you know, there was always beer and, and liquor in the house. So a routine for me was to, you know, get a six-pack, go to my room, lock my door, and go to my top bunk bed and, like, drink myself to sleep. And I wasn't doing it, like, with other people. I was doing it alone. And I literally, like, just liked the effect. I liked that it made me sleepy. And, yeah, pretty much, that's, that's pretty much it. And I, the next morning, like, before school, I'd go out into the woods and, like, bury the beer bottles. And uh, no one would know, right? Because my stepmom was an alcoholic, and she just lost track, right? So... That went on for till I was 15, and then at 15 I had my first, well, I'll say this. So at 15 I had kind of a, I guess, traumatic experience, I guess you would say. Um, I was at a camp, and I had um, experienced sexual assault, and then like a month later I experienced um, rape. 
And so, like, within that, like, there was a lot going on. I didn't tell anybody about um, the rape, you know, and I kept that to myself till I was 23 years old. But again, like, I stuffed, and all of that um, just, I turned to drinking, and, like, the next time, like, when I got back in town and there was a party, I drank the liquor for the first time, and I blacked out, like, the first time. And um, I don't remember much of that night, but I remember waking up the next morning, my friends had, like, drawn Sharpie all over me. I throwed my hair, and, like, my friend is, like, shaking me awake to, like, get me in the shower because my mom was on her way to get me. Um, and, like, I remember, like, my first thought was, like, damn. Like, time passed, and I had no re- recollection of it, and I'm happy right now. I was still drunk, and uh, I want to do that as much as possible, right? Because it was an easy escape for me. <clears throat> and so from then on, like, 15 on, like, I drank as much as I could, went to parties, would steal my dad's car um, in the middle of the night to like go to like field parties. I lived out in the country, so there were like a lot of field parties. Um, yeah, and that was just like my goal. Like every weekend I would, where was the party? And I would go and figure out a way to, to get drunk. And that just escalated um, to other substances. Like soon after I found, you know, weed um, and did that like addictively. And then in my junior year, I had back surgery. Um, I was born with minor spina bifida. So I was missing like two ligaments and part of a bone back there. And um, we didn't know it until like they went in there, but they were pretty convinced that's what was going on. So I had back surgery when I was 17. um, And I got introduced to Dilaudid and some other other things, some opiates. And um, fell in love with them instantly, you know, and luckily at that point, I don't know what, it was God for sure, my belief is, but I didn't, when I got out of the hospital for those five days, I gave all those pills to my dad, and I said, I like these too much, like, take them from me, Um, and that was the last time I ever did that, (laughs) but I knew, like, that, that feeling and that sense of escape was, like, you know, different than alcohol and weed, um, and I remembered that. And so later on in my story, I went back to that. But so I graduated high school barely, um, went to college. I was not planning on going to college because I hated school, but I was a musician. And so I got this scholarship um, to this school out in West Texas. And I was, you know, I was like, cool, music, I'll, I'll do that, you know. Um, and so I moved out there. And this is like in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to move seven hours away from anybody I know. This is like a fresh start. I'm going to really focus on my studies. I'm not going to drink and party. Um, And that was like, I remember the ride, the the drive there with my sister, and that's what I was telling myself, right? And I didn't even last like a month of that um, firm resolution of of not not drinking or not drugging. Um, And at this point, like I was 20, I didn't know anything about AA. My sister was sober, but like still I didn't know anything about AA. And um, I just thought, like, I could manage it, and, like, I thought I was a little bit out of control. So, yeah, my first semester was insane, and I progressively got worse, because college, like, I could do it every night and every day, and it's fine. Um, Or at least I thought, and then by the end of that semester, I lost my Fulbright scholarship, because I was suffering so bad in uh, in all my classes. Um, And I was put on academic probation, and... The next semester, I was still, like, going down the path, and my 
luckily, like the women I lived with in a house and, and a couple of my um, teachers, they got together and did an intervention on me um, along with the school counselor. And I, you know, was livid. And it took about four hours for them to convince me to like, okay, go get help. Um, and so I did just to get them off my back, basically. And so the campus police like drove me to Abilene, uh, <laughs> two and a half hours away with one of my counselors, and I uh, went to my first treatment and detox. Um, that was in 2010, and uh, yeah, I did not stay sober since then. So fast forward a lot, like from then on, like I was in and out of rehabs, in and out of, you know, barely working steps. Um, and there was a point like, you know, for sitting in that first rehab, like looked up at the steps, and saw the word God, like, I didn't really have a, you know, opinion on God, per se, but, like, I saw the word God, and immediately I was just like, mm, like, I don't really want that, and, um, and I didn't really, I wasn't convinced that I was an alcoholic, so, like, there was this one time I was sitting with my sponsor at Starbucks, and we were going through the book, and we were going to the first step, and I just stopped her, and I closed my book, and I said, listen, like, I'm not convinced, like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, and she literally slid $40 across the table to me and said, go find out. There's a bar next door. And she left, and she's like, call me if you need me. And uh, I went and found out <laughs> real fast. Like, I went over there and tried to have just one beer. You know, like, there's in the book it talks about, on page 30-something, the physical allergy test. Like, so I had, like, one beer and just tried to stop at that. And needless to say, like, within an hour I was wasted and, like, it didn't work. So, like, that night I had, like, cried, drove home to my sponsor's house, she let me couch for the night, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get sober, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I really can't stop. She's like, all right, go take a shower, go get a job, meet me at a meeting tonight. All right, going to do that. I left her house and went straight to the bar. And so like this, I'm, you know, that day ended with like me like pulling out all the quarters I had, like telling the bartender like, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, I just need to find out. And she's like, have all the drinks you want, you know, so like, it's like, <laughs> so that, um, so that led me to like my first real sobriety you know like I really found out like I was convinced I was an alcoholic and like I couldn't stop on my own and I needed help um, and I couldn't stay stopped that was the biggest thing for me um, so yeah I got I got it over a year so over that time around and um, long story short I stopped working a program my higher power was a was my partner and I um, yeah, I just didn't go to meetings, didn't have a sponsor anymore, and just was doing my own thing. And uh, three months of that, I'm surprised I lasted that long, three months of that, I um, I relapsed on some pot, and I was like, it's just pot, like I can smoke a little bit of pot, right? And within an hour of smoking that pot, I was like, let's get this, let's get some liquor, let's get some da and I was like, and then I, I was able to like, I had a moment of clarity, I was like, like, no, like you can't do that, like you're not an addict, you can just smoke a little pot and be fine, you know? And so, like, I white-knuckled it that night, just smoked the pot, and the next day I went to work, miserable. Um, and then on my way home from work that day, I just found myself, like, driving into a liquor store um, as much as I didn't want to, right? And so that that um, relapse was really painful. It was the first time I really realized, like, the physical allergy part of it. Um, so I remember a few days into it, like, I was sitting on the couch... And there was a bottle in front of me, and I had tears rolling down my cheeks, um, and I didn't want to keep drinking. Like, I did not want to keep. Like, I wanted to stop. I knew there was AA, and I knew 
there was good life in there. Um, and I just didn't want to keep drinking, but I couldn't keep from putting that bottle to my mouth. Um, luckily, a good friend in AA kept bothering me and kept coming to my house every day and pouring my shit out and taking me to a meeting, regardless if I was drunk or high or whatever. And one of those days, one of those nights, it, it stuck and I, I, um, I really asked for help. So that, one thing I learned, my physical allergy, like, very real. <laughs> um, second thing I learned, like, AA, like, I do my best to be there for my friends, whether they're in or out of the program, right? Um, because that is that time around, like, is what saved my ass. Um, so, yeah. I need a drink. A uh, Waterloo drink. Not a, <laughs> not a drink drink. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, <laughs> all right, where are we? Uh, let's see. So, yeah, so, so after that, after getting sober that time, like, in and out, in and out, blah, blah, blah. But, like, there's, it came to this point in 2015 where I was pretty bad. Um, I was, I had left a treatment center in California. I was, had been in California for months, and I was living on the streets. Um, my drug addiction escalated to, um, you know, intravenous drugs, um, and I was just doing whatever I had to do to get the next hit. Um, and I just want to say, like, I know this in AA meeting, drugs are part of my story, and I try to respect the traditions as much as possible, so I won't go into detail about that stuff. But, um, but yeah, so that's part of my story. And, and you know, it was really bad. It was really dark. I was living in a parking garage. Um, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't look people in the eye. I would walk down, like, I had this, like, two-block radius. I would just, like, circle um, constantly, and, uh, you know, it got, got to the point where, like, women were, like, covering their children's eyes when I was near them, um, so, so, yeah, it was pretty demoralizing, um, and, like, that wasn't enough to get me to stop, you know, and so, finally, I, uh, my family paid for a plane to get back to Texas for me, and I went to a state-funded treatment, um, and that was really good for me. I, I completed that 30 days, and then I went to a, a um, Oxford house. And at that point, I was working a different 12-step program, as uh, suggested by my sponsor at that time. And uh, at 88 days sober, I was so, so miserable. I was still on step one. <laughs> I was doing this big old packet, and I was so miserable. For weeks, I had been suicidal and talked about it, checked myself in a psych ward, came out, still suicidal, like, just miserable. Um, and I attempted suicide. 88 days sober, attempted suicide, and, I, like, I knew I didn't want to go back to the life of, of drinking and using, right, because that was absolutely miserable. And I just didn't see a way to be, like, happy in sobriety because I, I was thought I was really trying. And so I attempted suicide, and um, I was in a coma for three days and um, obviously didn't didn't I wasn't successful um, but I remember like waking up and like all the doctors and nurses were there when I woke up for some reason standing in front of me and I was so pissed my first thought was I was just so pissed um, and I cussed them out and I was just like fuck this man like I'm not I don't want this life you know um in the next few months like because I left a note I left a note saying to my family saying I'm sorry I'm not strong enough and that's all I said 
And and that right there shows me like I didn't have a full understanding of this program and there's disease because like it's not about being strong, um, it's not about that at all. It's not willpower. Um, so yeah, because I left that note, they knew it was a suicide attempt, and um, I had my fair share of psych wards the next few months, um, and detoxes and rehabs and all that stuff. But when I was out of psych wards or out of rehabs, like I couldn't stay sober longer than, I think 10 days was the longest I could stay sober, um, just by going to meetings. And uh, so I really, at this point, like I was 25, 26, and at this point, like I really was like, all right, 90 day treatment doesn't work for me, right? 30 day treatment wasn't enough. Like what, what else is there? And I didn't know about long-term treatment at this point, but I just started Googling and I found this long-term treatment center in, in Texas, and I just called them. I was like, hey, I have no money, <laughs> like, but please help me, you know? And I called them every day for, I think it was two weeks or so. And um, I sold all of my guitars I had, and I made, like, scrounged up like a few thousand dollars, and they took me in on a full scholarship plus that money I got. Because um, I, was, I was desperate. Like, I wanted to change. I knew there was, like, a better life out there for me. Um, and so I went to the treatment center. It was a two-year-long program. I knew about it. You know, I knew how long it was. I knew how hard it was when I when I went there, and I was so excited um, to go to get a new chance. And um, there's this part in the book, page 24, it talks about, it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. <coughs> so I got into that, that program, and literally, like, at 28 days, um, I walked off. I, I left. I said, fuck this. Because um, I was feeling feelings I didn't want to feel. For the first time I ever, like, I experienced true anger, because um, that place really gets it out of you. <laughs> but it was there my whole life, right? I just suppressed and like pushed it down, um, and I didn't like anything about that. I didn't, I didn't want to feel, so I just said, "Fuck this." And like what I did a month prior to get into that place, sell all my belongings and like beg them to let me in. Like I didn't even remember how desperate I was. You know, none of that mattered, or so I thought. Um, and so I walked off. And to fast forward, like. You know, that didn't end well. I overdosed. I was in Austin, overdosed under a bridge, and ended up at the hospital, you know. Um, but, again, like, years of, like, in and out of, of rehabs. I never know when to, like, cut out certain parts. So bear with me. <laughs> I am, oh, let's see. So, yeah, so after that, I, um, there were, like, three years in there I don't really remember much of. You know, there was some sober living, some rehabs, um, some bits of sobriety, but just, I don't really remember much up until 2018. And then in 2018, again, I was, um, desperate again to get sober and couldn't do it just in the rooms. And so I went to this treatment center in South Carolina and, I uh, got a bus ticket and went up there and, and, uh, I thought this was like the solution, you know, gotta get out of state. Um, even though I tried that in California, but in the, the, the other the other coast, you know, maybe it'll be better. Um, and so I went there, and it was a three-month program. I graduated, 
that's a lie. I left. I left there, then went back after like a two-month run. Went back, graduated, um, and then I started working there. I was like, hell yeah, I'm the shit. Like, I started working at admin and like <laughs> sponsoring people there, and I was like, they like me. You know, like, I got this shit going. Um, and so, like, at like five months in, I got resentful of my sponsor, who was also my boss. Don't recommend that. Um, and like, decided to move two hours south to like work at this church um, and guitar center. And uh, move in with these guys from Facebook that I met that smoked pot. And I was like, I can like pot. I don't even like pot anymore. You know, it's fine. Um, so, yeah, I moved two hours south. Didn't know anybody there except the church people. And um, I spent a month there. Like, I didn't. I went to a couple of AA meetings. But then, have you all ever experienced, like, going to an AA meeting in a different town and, like, they don't do it right and then just, like, not go back? Yeah, that was me. Judgmental as fuck. Um, so like that was me. I went to a few meetings and was like, they're not, they're not doing it right. So then I just didn't go. Um, and instead of like showing up like a member of AA and like bringing a solution, I just decided not to go. Um, but yeah, it was a month of like not working a program, not having a sponsor, acting out in other ways besides using and drinking. And um, I got really really sick. And the church ended up firing me on a Saturday. They fired me because I was gay, right? They knew when they hired me that I was gay. They thought they would change me with baptism and all that shit, whatever. doesn't matter, but they fired me straight up because I was gay. And um, I took that and ran with it. I got super fucking pissed. Um, and I got really resentful and sad and all this shit, and then the next day, like, sounded like a really good idea to go get some, you know? And uh, I was in Charleston, South Carolina, I didn't have a car, didn't know anybody with a car, but I knew there was a gas station like two miles up. And so I was like, I'm going to find what I need. And so I walked there, and like the whole time walking there, y'all, the whole two miles, I was like, in my head, I was like, turn around, turn around, turn around, don't do this. Um, but my like legs kept walking there. Like I couldn't, I literally felt like I could not keep myself from walking there. And uh, once I got there, the first people I met had what I wanted, and I got it, and I went home and, you know, I just had two two little bags and I was going to do one bag that night and then one bag on my, you know, the next day and I'll be fine. Um, and I remember I did that first bag and instantly I was like, I'm going to finish that second one. And I did that and I was out. Um, and I, so I overdosed again. And I was, I was out for 24, 40, 48 hours um, before the cops found me. I was, um like dying I was um my oxygen level was like 40 percent like it was just like the EMTs were like we're not even gonna take her she's dead you know um but they luckily they did and I was in a coma for 11 days um and you know when I woke up out of that like I had no idea what happened what was going on um and and to come back from that like I had to I got to I got to relearn how to walk to talk, to play guitar, to eat even, you know, um, all of those things, like, um, that we all take advantage of, that I know that I took advantage of before, um, I got to relearn all that stuff, and uh, I was in the hospital for, um, a month, almost a month and a half, and the scary thing, like, when I was finally, like, cognizant enough to, like, understand what happened, um, And it was, like, I, I was really scared, you know, because I knew, like, when I got out of there, I was going to do it again, because that's just my history, right? Um, 
so like before I was scared and then before I like the week before I got out I was already thinking about like maybe I can just have a little bit of wine you know it's not that stuff like maybe I can just drink a little bit of wine um and so when I got out of there like I tried to do it without treatment for a few weeks and that just like I was I was going nuts and so I needed more help so I went to treatment again and I was in there for like a year it was a great program same two-year program I went to the time before and, and left and um yeah, I'm going to touch on this, then I'll get into some solutions. So I was at that treatment center for a year, and again, like, the obsession was, like, crazy on me those last, like, two weeks I was there. Um, I was also doing a lot of, like, trauma work and, like, a lot of stuff with my therapist, so I was, I was, um, I had a lot going on up here. Um, but yeah, the mental obsession came back, and I was just, like, I, and I was scared. Like, I remember sharing every group crying, like, I don't want to go, like, I don't want to go, um, but I know I'm going to, you know? <laughs> Um, and so one day I, I did, I just, I, the obsession became so powerful. Like I just fucking walked. I don't know. I don't know if, if I'm sure y'all understand that. I don't know. Like once the obsession has a hold of me, like I have no control. And that's why I'm so grateful today. Like that I, I have worked these steps and I have this connection with God, which like to, to set promises say like we are, we recover from that. Right. Like I don't have that obsession today. Um, thank God. Because I wouldn't be here if I, if I did. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I left that treatment center with full, full, like, I, I definitely was going to use. Like, I, I knew I was going to. And so, I walked to this, like, same hotel that I left the last time and got, you know, whatever. And I bummed a cigarette from this guy thinking, like, he's going to have what I want. And I was just sitting there watching this guy. And this, I swear this was God because this was not me. Um, I was sitting there watching this guy, and he was just, like, had this aura about him, and he just looked lifeless and dead inside and outside, and just, like, totally just, like, and I, my first thought was, I don't want any part of that. And then it was just, like, immediately, I was sitting on that curb at that motel, and I was smoking a cigarette, and I was like, immediately, like, I don't want to use, like, I don't want to do that. Um, and so my next thought was, well, fuck, what do I do now? Because <laughs> this place was not going to take me back. I had left three times, and uh, they made it very clear. And so, like, I hitchhiked to Dallas and, and went to this awesome, um, so it was a um, homeless shelter. And you get to stay there, pay, like, 70 bucks a day or whatever to sleep on the ground, and, and you have to be sober, and you go to meetings, and you get a sponsor. So I went there, and um, it was one of the best experiences I've had in my life. Um, I've been to, like, really fancy treatment centers and then state-funded, you know. But, like, this homeless shelter <laughs> was fucking awesome. Because, like, there was, like, you had to work the steps or you get kicked out. You know, you had to go to meetings you get kicked out. Um, but other than that, there's, like, really no rules. Um, but there's so many people around, I realize, like, there's always opportunities to be of service. Because my problem is, like, getting in my head and, like, self-pity and all this bullshit. Um, but, like, there was always floors to mop there's always you know like shit to do and like just constantly like even like sitting down with a woman making her read the book with you like you know I was on day five or whatever it doesn't matter like let's read the book together um so there was always like opportunities to be of service so yeah so I got sober there um that time around and then I'll fast forward to this time doesn't matter long story short no I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna we don't need to talk about Sweden <laughs> um yeah I I all right, I'll touch on it. Shit. I was sober two and a half years. 
got really sick, imagine that, um, and made a relationship with my higher power, and I got married after like knowing this woman for like 90 days. Um, bad idea. I moved in with her after two weeks of knowing her. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just like did that, and then it was, long story short, it was not a healthy relationship by far. Um, a little bit um, abusive, I would say. Um, so I got out of that and immediately relapsed. Um, and then this time around, like, I went to treatment and made it to Austin. Um, you know, this, my sobriety is June 17th of 2022, last summer. And um, I relapsed that, like, a week before that sobriety date. And um, I had a really, um, I don't know, I, I needed that, honestly. I needed that. I moved out of sober living. I, well, I got kicked out of sober living because I relapsed. I am... Um, and moved into this like apartment with this guy that said he was sober, but he wasn't. Um, and yeah, like I, I spent a week to 10 days, like just in my hold up in my freaking room, um, all by myself, you know, doing everything you can imagine. Um, and just miserable, but I couldn't stop. I could not stop. So I got this bright idea. It's like, I'm going to do some shrooms. I've heard that helps to like get off all this shit, right? Like it's a spiritual thing, it's like the new thing to do. And so I like, went to this park by the lake and like, this was, and I had this like spiritual experience, I have a tattoo because of it. And like, <laughs> it's a giraffe, yeah. I, <laughs> for real, it was like, it was a real spiritual experience. And then, so I was like, I'm done. Like I, I can go and throw away all my shit, like I'm done. And then I Ubered back home and like, no, I didn't throw away my shit. Like I did all, you know, I did the rest of it. And like, still, I was like baffled. I was like, what the fuck? And so, um, yeah, so like no, none of my ideas work, long story short. Um, and, and I've learned also like, I can't, it's dangerous to compare my program to other people's programs. Cause I see other people, you know, maybe getting away with sex conduct that I can't get away with or like dishonesty or whatever and um and I've tried to get away with that shit because I'd rather not be fucking honest you know like I'd rather get away with some stuff and like you know do my own thing um but I don't stay sober doing that like I don't stay sober I have 12 years of experience of not staying sober um doing my own thing you know So yeah, so I um So yeah, this time around like I I got sober. I um you know, somehow I kept my job <laughs> while during that relapse cuz I happened to have like 2 weeks off. Um <laughs> perfect timing. But um yeah, like this time around like dude, I I got a sponsor when I first you know, came to Austin, and that didn't work out, which is okay, you know, and I found another sponsor that, that has worked out beautifully, and, um, the most important part of that relationship, I feel like, is I just have to be honest with myself, so I can be honest with her, which is really fucking hard to be honest with myself sometimes, um, but sometimes, like, talking shit out, like, I realize, like, oh, this is the truth, and, um, that helps a lot, but, no, like, step one, like, obviously, I knew I was fucking powerless, right, um, Step two, my step one was solid. Step two didn't matter. Like, can't believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity? Sure, like, sign me up. Like, whatever. I'll do whatever. 
Um, step three this time around was really fucking powerful for me. Um, so a friend of mine uh, that I went to treatment with last year, she, um, long story short, she was out when I was out last summer, and she asked for a, a plug up in Dallas where she was, and I introduced her to somebody, and she died off of the stuff she got from him. And so that happened, like, right, like, literally three days after I got sober, maybe. Um, and so my third step prayer, I I didn't even do it with my sponsor this time around because I, I was ready to do it. I was in my room alone in my sober living, and uh, this was with the old sponsor. Uh, <laughs> I was ready to do it, right? And I was feeling all this emotion, and um, I just, like, had this deep, deep desire to, like, I don't want to harm people anymore. And, like, I don't, my will, like, harms people so much where they, like, fucking die, right? Like, I know I'm not that powerful, but I, I played a part in that. Um, and so my third set of prayer was, was that night, and it literally, like, I've had experiences with third set of prayers before, but that was just, like, a body experience. Um, so, yeah, fourth step, did that shit just stare out of the book. Um, and yeah, fifth step, I was, it was really powerful this time around. It was a little bit different than I had done it before. Um, but like what really shown, like showed me a difference was like my sponsor talked about the, the defects with me in the fifth step rather than just writing a whole list and like mm-hmm. sitting me on with it. Right. We had like conversation about like, okay, this defect you're you know, self-seeking as fuck or whatever. Um, and so that was like really helpful for me to, to, um, dive deeper into that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, six, seven, like that's, that's not a one shot thing. It's like, I have to keep working on that. Um, and really God works on that. Like I just have to be willing to, um, take those things to him continuously. Cause like, obviously I still have defects. Um, I'm not fucking perfect. Um, but, like, I'm willing to grow towards being better, right? To not be in self-will, because I see where self-will gets me, right? Um, and then steps eight and nine, like, that's been my biggest thing this whole time of, like, in and, in and out, in and out. Like, I'll start on my amends and make some, some family amends and maybe maybe financial amends, and then, like, just pause and, like, keep going with 10, 11, 12. And I've never finished my amends. Um, and I realized this time around, like, I, how many times have I said this time around? <laughs> Shit. Um, but no, I realized, like, that is the biggest thing I think I need to focus on um, to change, right? Like, I need to finish my amends. I still haven't finished them. There's a fucking lot. Um, but I'll go through bouts where, I'll, like, I'll make a few and then, like, pause. And then I'll make a few, like, I'll get, like, bursts of energy or so. Yeah. Um, so, like, that, that's steadily... Thanks. Um, that's steadily like going on this time around. Um, I'm not. I haven't like. This is the longest I've been continuously making amends. Let's just say that. So that's good. Um, yeah, I'll tell an immense story. I guess my sister. So my there were two and a half years where I didn't get to be a part of my family's life um, in my addiction, and um, and two of my sisters, the two that I'm closest with. They, have, they had young kids at the time, and, like, you know, I wasn't invited to Christmases, Thanksgivings, to keep them safe. Like, at the mo- at the time, I was so pissed about it and, like, self-righteous and entitled and all this, you know. 
But looking back, like, I understand it was to protect their kids, basically. Um, and, yeah, so this amends this time around with Betsy. Um, it was really not pleasant. <laughs> I will say that. It was, um, it lasted about three hours. You know, I said my spiel, I was very detailed about it. And um, there were a lot of tears for both of us. And she... And I said, have I left anything out? Or do you want to say anything? You know, and she went on for hours. Um, <laughs> she let me have it. Uh, she was really angry, you know, rightly so. Like, I have, you know, like, I'm her best friend, and I've been in and out of her life for all these years and almost died and, like, all this stuff, you know? And, and um, like, how do you trust someone like that again? Um so I just listened. I shut up and listened, and if she asked me a question, I would answer, you know. But uh, it was not a good feeling, I will say that. Like the book talks about, we were prepared for a long talk. Um, that was definitely the longest I've ever had, but it was it was really good. Like leaving that, I felt like shit. <laughs> but um, a couple days later, once it all sunk in, like I was, I was grateful, you know. She was willing to talk to me. Um, and now, like... Eight months later, um, you know, I get to go to Fort Worth for the weekend and, like, stay with her and her, her kid. And um, and I get to, like, show up for her as a sister today. And, like, she's going through addiction with her oldest son, and she calls me sometimes and talks to me about it and, like, asks me what, I, what she should do. You know, like, those kind of things. Like, it's pretty – I'm dumbfounded by it, but, like, it's awesome that I get to be there for my sister in that way. Um, and that's honestly one of the most important things to me in my sobriety today, to be able to be there for her and my family members um, like I've never been able to before. Um, yeah, so... Shit, how did I get started on that? Oh, yeah, step nine. So then step 10, 11, 12. Um, step 10, like, yeah, continue to take personal inventory. Um, and we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So... I'm not, I'm not, honestly, like, today, I'm not that great at this. Like, I could do a lot better at this. Um, yeah, so if anybody wants to be accountability buddies, let me know after the meeting. Um, but, no, like, when I'm actually working this step um, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, like, I see a huge difference. Actually, today, I did a 10-step by myself. Like, I, this is embarrassing, I tripped at work. Um, and I, I got into a lot of self-pity about it because, like, from that coma, I have some, like, nerve damage and shit, and sometimes I trip, right? Um, and so, like, I tripped at work, and then I got in like, self-pity immediately. I just, like, had to sit down. I was like, fuck. And then I prayed. I was like, God, please take this away from me and help show me who I can be helpful to, you know? Um, and it worked. Um, I got out of it immediately, and it, and it worked. And So that, like, when I'm actually doing the sense step, it really does um, help. And the sense that promises, like I mentioned earlier, it talks about that mental obsession is removed. Um, which, <laughs> I thought y'all were lying about that for the longest time um, until I experienced it. You know, it talks about on page 84, if we t if tempted, we recoil from it, it's from a hot flame. And that is my experience as long as I continue to work these steps. For me, I have a very small window of, of like, if I stop working these steps, if I stop doing my morning meditation and, and nightly routine, like, I can I can get sick really fast. Um, yeah, and if I'm not sponsoring, if I'm not actually sponsoring, I'm, I'm in danger. 
Um, I've never relapsed when I'm actively sponsoring. That's a really cool thing um, that I have to remind myself. Like, when I'm actively working the steps with another woman, like, I've never picked up. And it actually says something about that in uh, working with others. It says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So, um, yeah, again, I thought that was like, you know, oh, whatever, like y'all are just putting that in there because it looks good. But uh, that's been my truth. No matter how much of a chronic relapser um, I am, like when I'm actively working with sponsees, I'm not picking up. Um, so yeah, today what life looks like, like my dad, um, I have a great relationship with my dad. You know, he t I talk to him every day through text. He texts me every morning. Um, good morning. If I don't respond within like three hours because I'm busy at work or something, he's like, you okay? So like that, like, I know I've done damage there, right? Like if I don't respond, like he's, he's worried still. Um, but, you know, I get to reply today and I get to FaceTime him and I get to reassure him that everything is good, you know? And I get to show up for his 75th birthday this fall um, that he's having with everybody, and, and that's just, um, you know, that's that's a that's a beautiful thing about this program. Another beautiful thing about this program is, you know, the friends that I have, um, you know, found in this program and relationships I've built in this program. You know, there's no, like, bond that I have, like, people in this program, if that makes sense. Um, like, even my sister who I'm super close to, like, it's not the same as a bond in here because we just get each other. Um, yeah, and it's it's fun to, like, it's cool to have fun in recovery. Like, I used to not think, like, we could have fun in recovery, but it's a blast to, like, get together and do whatever. Anyways, I'm rambling. I'm, I'm super grateful. Thank you, Matt, wherever you are. Matt, thanks. Yeah. Um, oh, there you are. Uh, thanks, Matt, for asking me to speak. Um, I'm really grateful, and I will end it with this because I really like this page. Um, yeah, the biggest thing, like, one thing that I've learned is, like, I've experienced a lot of self-pity and shame and all this bullshit for, like, all the, the, the hurt I've caused people I love, right? But the one thing I, I like to remember and was pointed out to me um, that the book talks about is that's our most important, like, our past is our most important thing. Um, so on page 124, it says, Henry Ford once made a wise remark to the effect that experience is a thing of supreme value in life. That is true only if one is willing to turn the past to good account. We grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. The alcoholic's past thus becomes the principal asset of the family, and frequently it is almost the only one. And that's all I got.